It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to episode number 45 of the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is Tuesday the 21st of July as of recording and my guest this week is thriller author and writing coach Christina Rienzi. But before we get into the interview, we'll begin with my personal update. In Great Writer Share news, we are fast approaching milestone episode number 50. I've got lots of things whirring in the background, lots of things that are coming into preparation for episodes 50 specifically, but some stuff thereafter that I'm going to continue teasing, even though I teased it a few weeks ago. Um, but it's, that, yeah, I, I don't want to say too much, but there are a lot of things that uh, I'm very, very excited by. Um, it's going to bring a lot more value to the patrons over at patreon.com forward slash great writer share. I believe it will provide more value to all you listeners it's not going to affect the actual podcast itself you're still going to hear from fantastic writers every week it's still going to be interviews and whatnot but it just means that i think there'll be a lot more for you to enjoy in the long run um and uh, i'm and so i'm also post uh, i'm also sowing seeds for what i'm going to do with episode number 50 um need to get my ass in gear because it's fast approaching but i have some really cool ideas and i think that you're gonna enjoy what i do with episode number 50 so that is coming. Episode 50 is a big milestone. Um, my previous podcast that I used to host with Luke Condor was 50 episodes and then we went on a hiatus that never came back from. So I'm excited to hit episode number 50 and keep plowing forward. And like I say, lots of good stuff coming your way. So keep peeled for that. In fiction news, chipping away at when winter comes, episode three as of, if you're listening to this episode live on the day that launches, episode three is officially submitted for pre-order. So the pre-order is already live on Amazon, but the files are now uploaded and ready to go. It's been a an interesting journey trying to write very, very quickly on top of the other stuff that I'm doing. Um, and essentially, I've rapid released these three episodes with my intention of every episode thereafter being a month apart. So I don't have a bit of breathing room. Um, but I really wanted to capture that momentum in the first month and really keep it trickling through. I believe the story is probably going to come out at about six or seven episodes, which will be about 130 to 150,000 words, which is the longest solo project I've ever written. Um, but I'm enjoying every step of the story. I absolutely love it. The feedback has been tremendous. Um, it's it's performing how I imagined it would be performing, and I'm excited to see what continues with it from there. I have also been um, putting together uh, my first ever anthology, which I'm editing, um, called The The Other Side. And that's being published through my company, Devil's Rock Publishing. And the theme for that is anything on the other side of death. And this is the first anthology I've put together. So it's been an interesting experience. I think when I first put it together, I was a bit worried about whether or not there'd be a lack of submissions, um, how many people would you know send quality work in to actually be featured. That's always going to be a, a worry. Um, and I've, I've been absolutely overwhelmed. I've had over 100 responses. The deadline isn't until the 30th of August. So there's still five, six weeks to go. Every day, more submissions are coming through. Um, and what it has done, I think, is given me a unique lens um, on what it's like to be on this side of the submission process. And I mean, I know that, you know, I've done work for the Other Stories podcast before where we get submissions for different themes and things, but it really feels different doing it for a book. And I very, very quickly identified what I'm going to do differently next time. Um, I've identified very quickly 
which stories have just been thrown at the wall to see if they stick. Um, and, you know, from from the side of the, the publisher putting that out, uh, one one tip for anyone who's looking at submitting, be, be, what's the word? Intentional. Be intentional with where you're sending your submissions because I've read quite a few stories that, you know, are nearly 10,000 words in length and I've been waiting for that moment where it twists and gives me the theme that the entire anthology is predicated around and then i don't get it and then i'm sat there thinking okay i've just wasted 20 minutes half an hour of my life reading a story that literally has no no um is no connect has no connection with the what i'm trying to produce here so uh, i might do an extended episode i might do something about the anthology process afterwards I, if, if you fancy that reach out and let me know and and i can i can put something together for you because yeah it's definitely been an experience and i can see where i've messed up in the past but also a lot of uh, a lot of common things that people could probably do themselves to increase their chances of making sure they get submitted if they are choosing to try and get a short story into an anthology. In non-fiction news, I wanted to say thanks to everyone. Um, it's been a month or so since Collaboration for Authors has launched. Thank you to everyone who's picked up a copy. Thank you to everyone that's reviewed or sent me positive words. People who have enjoyed it. Uh, once again, thank you to everyone that got involved in the actual book itself. Um, you guys are fantastic. Uh, and I want to say as well, for anyone who hasn't yet heard it, I did appear this week, or last week it will be, last Friday, on the self-publishing show um, with Mark Dawson and James Blatch. And in that episode, I give an overview of everything I'm doing with sort of horror, uh, everything with the other stories, and also a lot about the collaboration book itself and some of the key takeaways that uh, I think are fundamental for people getting involved in um, efficient and successful collaboration so definitely check it out i'll pop a link in the show notes but um james mark if you're listening thanks for having me it was a blast and uh yeah i hope people got a lot of value from that i'm also chipping away still at my productivity book um basically just percolating letting the ideas come i've got a mind map behind me about all of the different sections that i'm going to include some of the key points i'm yet to form some kind of structure uh, i don't have much of a timeline in it i do feel like i want to get it out before christmas um but yeah, so that's that's still being worked on. I, want, I definitely want it to be not so much a here's how to write lots of words book. Um, I want it to be useful, holistic, um, practical in terms of finding ways that writers can take tiny parts of their life and just improve their outputs because that's essentially what I've spent the last five, six years dedicating my life to um, and has gotten me to where I am. So I want to take those lessons and give it to people in a way that you can individualize and take away from yourself so um yeah that's that's on its way and just chipping away at that project as mentioned a little earlier this week's guest is the incredible christina renzi um she's someone who uh i hadn't come across before someone who i thoroughly enjoyed speaking to i think um we're we're on a very similar wavelength for anyone that likes my ramblings about <laughs> mindset and positivity and, and trying to think um of better ways to better yourself Christina definitely proved in this interview that she is a sucker, a glutton for punishment. Um, she specifically seeks out criticism, feedback, which I think is admirable and definitely one way to, or one of the most effective ways to improve your writing. She goes into her processes between writing her first thriller into her latest books. She talks all about um, her co uh, writing coaching business in which she coaches writers through the whole process of writing itself so not specifically editing not specifically proofreading or any of that kind of stuff but literally being there as a cheerleader as a support for writers we dive very very deeply very deeply into mindset and i think it's some fantastic takeaways there and also finish up the conversation with something that i've never heard before which is how you can get your book pitched to an agent through twitter um, i'll say no more on that you'll you'll have to listen until later on the episode to find out but i found that absolutely fascinating and i think it's a fantastic way for anyone looking to try and get their work pitched to someone i think it 
I mean, not that it could be the future, it's already here, but I think it's definitely one avenue that sounds very successful in terms of getting your book out there and noticed by agents and publishers. So check that out when it comes. No new patrons this week, but for anyone that's interested in supporting the show and getting a lot more value, including early access to episodes, add free access to episodes and entry into our Slack community group, then go over to www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share. And there you can pledge for as little as $1 a month. Uh, to get involved and get all that good stuff so www.patreon.com forward slash great writer share and thank you to everyone who is currently a patron and has continued to be a patron even through these difficult and trying times with coronavirus i love you all and now without any further ado let's dive into the interview with the one and the only christina rienzi Christina Rienzi is a Jersey Shore local, new adult author, certified professional coach, and the former president of Sisters in Crime Central, Jersey. An INFJ who dreams beyond big, Christina encourages others and herself to embrace the unknown through her stories about fierce women risking their lives to become who they were always meant to be. When she's not writing or drinking wine, Christina is spoiling her three fur beasts, dissecting true crime stories, singing and dancing to Yacht Rock Radio, or rooting for the WD Mountaineers. She believes in all things paranormal, a closet full of designer bags, weekly manicures, the law of attraction, aliens, angels, and the value of a graduate degree in psychology. Christina, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a great introduction. No, I'm excited to have you. Um, I, I want to dive straight into a little little bit that I've plucked out of the intro, which is your belief in the paranormal, because I'm always massively curious yeah. about this. So are there any particular moments or experiences that you've had with the paranormal that have fueled your belief? Yeah, it's so funny you say that. You know, um, there are so many things that I have just experienced in terms of just feeling like something was kind of off. Um, nothing like, nothing like I, I haven't seen an apparition or anything like that. Um, but I do, I feel like there's, there's so much that we don't know. And I think being open to whatever is possible, that's just like the way I live my life. Um, is that I'm open to knowing I don't know everything. And mm-hmm. so I'm always curious. And I think I try to approach life with curiosity, which I, um, I think just in general is really a healthy way to look at the world, right? Just ask questions, get to understand the way things are. And, um, and certainly anything that's not normal, I'm interested in because I want to know why um, and, and do things truly exist or not. But yeah, I definitely have gone places where I felt like something's there. Um, you know, I don't know what, um, but I could, you know, I just, I feel kind of different and, um, I don't know. I feel like I've been a little sensitive at times to that. So, um, yeah, yeah I'm open. Basically I'm open. I'm open to, to whatever, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm very similar. I think it's ignorant to believe that we know everything and sure. there are certainly forces at work that are just unexplainable. Um, yeah. that's, like you say, that's just a, a part of life and curiosity yes. is obviously something that's quite fundamental to, to fueling a writer's imagination. So tell me a little bit about how your journey into writing became to be and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, um, I always, all my life, I loved writing stories. I mean, you know, as kids, you, you get into the creative mind, right? You have an imagination and I wrote short stories and things like that. But when you get older, at least for me, life gets in the way, right? You start, mm-hmm. you have to get a job, you go to school, you have responsibilities and that imagination, at least, um, I've seen, you know, in my experience kind of fades, right? So I don't know. It was funny. I just, um, 
I had been exploring writing again. I had like a bug. Like I, I would say it was like almost like a voice in my head that said, you need to write. Like it's time to write again. It was about 2010. And I'm like, where is this coming from? I haven't written fiction in so long. And so the first thing I did was I'm, uh, you know, by nature, I'm a curious person. I'm a learner. I like to learn. I love school. I could, if I could go to school forever, I would. So I decided, you know what? I want to learn how to write again because I haven't really written fiction in a long time. So I joined a local writer group. Um, I got to um, know some of the writers there that had been published, some hadn't. And um, basically, it was a critique group. So we would submit something every week, and it would be critiqued. And they were really tough critiquers, you know? And I like that, because I like feedback that's honest, and I want to know what I'm doing wrong so I can get better. That's one of the things I, I enjoy about writing, is that you are always getting feedback, right? <laughs> be it from your editor or a reviewer. Mm. Um, and so I started down that road. So 2010, and then I got an idea for a novel. I wrote the novel probably seven times because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just how that goes. I just wanted to get it right. And I would say by 2014, I think that was the year where I got uh, picked up by a small press publisher for my debut novel, Choosing Evil. And they also took the sequel, Breaking Evil. And from that point on, I just, I just started writing more and more as much as I could. You know, I just, uh, as much as I could find time to, which, you know, isn't always easy for writers. No, absolutely. And uh, I know that you mentioned before we were on there that you've got a 10 month old that you're trying to navigate yeah. all this craziness around. So how do you, how do you find your writing process looks at the minute? How, what, what hours in the day do you actually get to, to write and put the words on paper? It's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Um, you know, it's whenever I can get a minute. I, you know, because of the pandemic, we're all home right now. So I'm home. My husband's home. So thankfully, I have some help with the baby. But yeah, I mean, I, I tend to find an hour here or there. Either use. I used to write in the early morning. I would get up at five in the morning, and that's my writing time. That's like my gold time. Like my really my best and fastest writing would come out in first thing in the morning. But with a baby, I can't do that. So now I'm finding that when the workday is done, um, I'll take about an hour or two hours, whatever I can get um, to extend the day a little bit and, um, you know, make sure my husband's okay with that, you know, not <laughs> giving him a break. And that's when I find my time to write. But it is, it's really hard to find. And I, I will say, I have to be honest, I beat myself up about it. And um, I have to know that I can't do that. That's not okay. It's, you got to be kind to yourself. So, um, you know, I just honestly grab the time when I can. Mm. no it's absolutely something that's that's difficult I mean I when I first started writing I think my son must have been about eight or nine months old as well and wow. uh, I don't know why that was a point in which I, I started writing but it, it, you have you really have to grab those those stolen moments and try and get the words in um what yeah. what is it that spurs you on at a point where a lot of people would and probably rightly so just you know say all right I'm going to cut writing for a while while I focus mm -hmm. on, on on a kid and um give yourself a bit of a rest what is it that keeps you writing and goes no i'm gonna i'm gonna power through because i love i love listening to people's motivations and, and why they do power through this stuff because there is something enchanting about writing that just keeps people coming back to the page mm -hmm. it's very funny because i can't tell you how many times a day that thought comes to my mind like give up <laughs> be done you're done stop 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 you have other things and i think i think what it is is it's the one thing so i'm an introvert by nature i mean i'm very outgoing. I can be social, but I am an introvert by nature. I get my energy from being alone and from those quiet moments, right? Which are hard to find. It gives me back my quiet time. It allows me to dive into things that I don't do during the day because I'm so focused in a million directions. It's like a piece of me that I'm fulfilling. It's almost like my self-care. And I think that's important. And some people, mm. you know, they work out, some people paint, some people go running. Writing is what I do. 
And even if um, it's writing a pot, you know, a post for um, a website or writing a newsletter or writing fiction, I need that to just regenerate who I am and to be the best person I can be when I'm doing everything else I do. Mm. It's very easy to be swallowed into the, the parent mentality of, you know, doting on every single thing your child does. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. It, is, it, is it your first child? Yes, it is. It is. It's a big, big shift in uh, in, in foundations and life and everything else. It's hard. I, I, I remember early on, um, like I say, when my, when my son was young, just every stolen moment of trying to get up early. Um, and I didn't actually start doing the early mornings until he was probably about a year old at least and was, you know, sleeping pretty regularly. Um, but I, I completely agree. There's definitely an element of taking back a little of what's yours from the, the chaos of being a parent and the reality mm-hmm. of being a parent. It's very, it's the hardest job I've ever had. And I've had a lot of difficult jobs. It's the best <laughs> job, but it's really, really hard. And I can see why it's just something that, you know, people need a little bit of themselves in, in the parenthood realm because you can get sucked in and I love it. I mean, I would spend every waking moment with my daughter if I could. And I don't, I'm not the kind of, I mean, everybody's different. There's no right or wrong, but I enjoy it. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for every moment I have with her. Um, and so I feel like I, there's a little bit of guilt there when I don't, but I also know she's with my husband. So it's not like, you know, I don't feel, I don't, I feel good about that too. They're spending time together, but yeah, it, it is hard to prioritize yourself when you're caring for another human being and trying to raise another human being. And, um, but I do think it's really important that we all take care of ourselves because, you know, you can't really be there for anybody if you're not, if you're not giving yourself what you need, even if what you need is a walk you know, time alone, (laughs) you know, a conversation with a friend or writing, whatever Mm. it is. How do you find negotiating that time with your, with your husband? Is it fairly easy or is there some friction sometimes? Um, you know, it's not difficult. It's just, it's more about me feeling guilty and to ask. Um, and so sometimes I just, um, the way I present it isn't always the most kind, meaning I will be like, I have to do this. I got to get this done. And I feel like I put pressure on both of us when it really doesn't need to be that way. I think he's always ready to, you know, willing to help and to give me what I need, um, as same as I, for him. Um, but I think because I, the way I present it is from my own guilt, from a place of my own guilt, um, of for him and, and also for me that, um, I think I could do a better job at just saying, Hey, is it, you know, I'm going to write for a half hour, an hour and, um, and, and being a little bit more positive about it versus making it a stressor thing. <laughs> and, that, that, yeah. and that's because that's where I'm coming from. And I recognize that's not, um, you know, that's something I could do better for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely getting a lot of uh, links back to, to former experiences of mine. Uh, and and yeah, the, re- right? the, reason, the reason I am digging quite into this, like you say, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic and uh, I'm aware of a few writer friends of mine who are in very, very similar situations in which they've got young kids and they're having to balance, you know, family life and work and everything else around looking after the child and trying to get things done at, the, at this turbulent time. And I think that guilt is something that affects everyone. And I'm not sure what the answer to it is because I'm not sure it ever goes, but trying to find a way to handle it is, is very, very key. Um, and it sounds like you've got some kind of grasp, at least in terms of trying to, you know, make sure that you are still getting your, your me time. Yeah, I do. I try. I'm not as good as I should be about it, but I notice that when I don't have time for myself, I'm not the person I want to be. Mm. And it's really important for me to show up the way that I want to show up in life and be present and be positive and be, just be there, you know, to listen yeah. or like, what if my husband needs something? I can't be wrapped up in my, all of me all the time or the baby. So I feel like, um, you know, for, for me to get what I need, like for my husband, it's, you know, maybe going and doing yard work or, or doing a project. Like that's where he gets his, 
you know, his happiness and his, you know, his alone time. And like, this is what it is for me. So yeah, I agree with you. There's a, there is guilt, but I also think we need to know we're doing what's right for us to be the best parent, the best spouse, the best person we can be. Absolutely. Let's, let's jump back a little bit into something you mentioned about your, your early parts of your journey. You spoke about being a part of a critique group, which for someone who is introverted, I would assume would be the furthest thing from something that you'd get value from. But obviously that was something that you benefited massively from. You said there about being a a perpetual Mm -hmm. learner and really, really enjoying that feedback. But what was it initially that that took you from solo writer into seeking out a, a writing group? So yeah, it's funny you say that because I find when I, like the whole embrace the unknown tagline that I use, it really comes full circle for me because I tend to throw myself in situations I'm uncomfortable with so that I can figure out how to not be uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, and I don't realize that about myself till after the fact. Like when I'm doing it, I'm like, why am I torturing myself? I'm going into a room and writing something for a bunch of people who are experienced. I'm not, and I'm going to get torn apart. And why am I doing this to myself? But I realize about myself because I am a perpetual learner, that is how I grow. I get feedback. I get like advice. I'm like willing to put myself out there and to be um, kind of beat up, so to speak, because I want to do better. Mm. Um, and so I think I did that looking back for that reason. It, I mean, I was in, in it for a few years and I, at a point in time, it wasn't helpful anymore. And I moved on to like bigger writer groups where there were more resources. It wasn't just sitting around a table critiquing. It was all different kinds of things, workshops, education, you know, that the more what I needed at that point. But yeah, I think um, I I made a decision, and this is another thing that I do. Like, I'll make a decision about something, and then I go for it. It's like mm-hmm. once I've decided, it's it's already happened. It, like, it's already done. I already wrote the book, but I didn't put a word <laughs> on the page. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, I got to do this, and and I needed to throw myself. If I didn't throw myself to the wolves at that point, it never would have happened. I would have gotten stuck behind my desk in my office and never written a thing. And what was the most valuable part, valuable part of getting the criticism from that group? Because I've had a, again, I, I've been in a writer's group, but it wasn't a critiquing group. It was more of a sort of simulation, everyone come into a room and, and gather ideas and use stimulus. Um, what is it specifically about that critique group that, that you got value from? So relationships and support that I found um, through them, people I still talk to to this day, which are great. Um, was one piece of it. The other piece of it is that I really got to, like, I learned from their work what to do and what not to do. I learned so much. It was like a crash course. And I also built some thick skin in writing. Now, I, I've learned to have thick skin in business and in relationship. But for me, I didn't have that in writing because I had no experience. So it, I walked away with some real like, this is about, this isn't about my, like, how I feel and if I'm embarrassed or if I'm not good at this. This is about getting better. And if I want to write at at that point, my big goal was a novel, um, Mm. which was huge for someone who has only written short stories. And years ago, I wanted to do good. And when I look at something as like, I want to do a good job and I want to do it right. Whatever anybody tells me, I'm going to pay attention to. So I think that it just made me a stronger person, which prepared me for like later in life when you actually do write a book and people rip it apart and you can kind of (laughs) go... Like it isn't, they're, they're not attacking me as a human. They're attacking my product. And you know what? We can always do better in our, with our products. Mm, That's part of the process of learning and growing, right? Yeah. Definitely pops a bubble. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. There have been some reviews where I'm like, I quit. I quit writing. I quit. I'm deleting my Facebook. Like I'm just, I'm terrible. What am I doing? And there are other ones where I'm like, oh, I guess I could write a couple words. Like, I'm not horrible. Like, I just, you know, I never think I'm fantastic. But, um, you know, I just always think like, you know, 
what's going to be the thing that pushes me over the edge and, and makes me dr- jump out of this whole game? You know, mm. <laughs> I'm waiting for it, but uh, you know, hopefully nothing anytime soon. And what is it that, that keeps you going in those moments the most? What is it when, you know, cause I think we've all been there. We've all been at a point where we've literally just put the pen down or turned off the computer and gone, why, why the hell am I trying to yeah. bash my head against the wall and make this happen? What is it that, that pulls you through and keeps you going? Yeah, that's a great question because um, I think I go to the worst place that everybody goes to like i'm i'm no good i'm done this is why am i doing this i'm torturing myself and then i usually i need i i do look for i know that i have it within myself to bring myself back but usually in those times it's so bad that i'm like really done i have to call a friend it's like phone a friend mm. i literally will call a writer friend that gets it and i will talk to them and usually they're the ones that are like you're being ridiculous like everybody goes through this don't give up you know they give me some words of encouragement and remind me who I am, why I'm doing this and not to let it get to me. And it's, it's really, it's the support of the community that helps me because I think writing can be a very lonely thing to do and um, writer to writer, we get it. But I think if you try to talk to somebody who isn't a writer about what we go through, it's like not, they don't, I'm not saying that they're not empathetic in a different way, but it's just, it's not an experience they've had. So I really want to hear from somebody who's been there. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's, I reach out and then once I get that feedback, I start to kind of talk myself down and go, okay, you're done. Don't look at these reviews anymore. You're fine. Like just do what you do and whatever happens, happens. And I do remind myself of that too. Like I'll say, you know, I don't put pressure on how many sales am I going to get? Is it going to this? Is it going to that? You know, I have my dreams, but I also feel like it's going to do what it's going to do. I'm going to do the best I can and I cannot force this thing. So let me stop trying to force it and let me just enjoy it and just do my very best and, and just be there for the book and see, see where it goes. Absolutely. And you mentioned a little bit earlier as well, if we went from the writers group into powering through into that first novel, which was uh, choosing evil, what did that mm-hmm. process look like for you? How, how did you step up to the challenge of going from short story to a full length novel? Oh my God, it was hard. It was really, <laughs> really, really, really hard. The hardest thing I ever, one of the hardest things I've ever done, and I don't know how I did it looking back. I probably, I wanted to set it on fire about 10 times. I actually told my editor I was setting it on fire. She's like, no, you're not, it's fine. <laughs> but I'm like, it has to go, and like, it has to go away. Um, I literally, because I like to learn, I took, a cl- I took a bunch of classes. I took online classes at the time I went to like the local university and I took a writing class. I read a bunch of writing books. I just started playing around with it. And then um, before I even got published, I hired an editor that was really well known um, by some bigger authors um, as a freelance. And I'm like, just beat me up, rip it apart, help me. And she did. And she did it several times. And by the time it was done, it was publishable. It took, like I said, about six or seven rewrites Mm. um, because I really didn't know what I was doing. And I wanted to do a good job. And um, so, yeah, it was hard. I, I tortured myself and I literally would sit in my office for 12 hours a day. Now, again, I didn't have babies, so it was easy to just go, I'm going to go in the office all day Saturday. And I would, I would cancel plans looking back. I wouldn't do this today, but I would cancel plans with family and friends. I would set stuff on my calendar. I'm going to be in the office Saturday and Sunday, writing, writing, writing. Wow. It was literally everything that I was consumed with until it was done. And then once I kind of knew what I was doing, like once you write a novel, it's like you have confidence you could do it again. I didn't need to go that, you know, all in. Um, mm. I always put the work in, but it wasn't like the first time. Um, but that's how I learn. I've got to dive in head first and I got to immerse myself. And then once I feel comfortable, I can take a step back. And what was the signify for you that 
you were able to say this book is done was it the approval from the editor or was there something else inside you that thought you know I've, I've, I've accomplished what I'm trying to accomplish here the first one I didn't know because I, I would have edited it till this day. But I think it was literally this really tough, tough editor who ripped me apart with every editorial letter finally said, good job. And mm-hmm. I was like, really? And she's like, it's, you can go ahead and you know now pitch it or whatever you want to do. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. You know, I was looking for approval because I had no idea. Now when I'm done with the book, I know I'm done because it, again, it's not perfect. Nothing I ever write is, but I feel like I've given it everything I have to give today. Like the writer I am today, that's writing the book I'm writing right now. This is the best I can do. And there's no more I can add to it. Like I've gone over it so much and I'm done. I know when I'm done intuitively, but I think, yeah, the first book I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what was right or wrong. And I would have kept going until today. So I needed somebody to say, you're good. Hmm. Have you always so, been so open to your shortcomings or was it, is there an event that triggered to you taking that stance of, you know, being humble and seeking that, that learning? Yeah, that's so funny. That's a great question. Um, I have, you know, I feel like I used to beat myself up a lot. Um, and I never, by the way, I grew up in a house where I was very lucky to have pa- two parents who loved me very much and encouraged me every step of the way I could be like, I could do anything. You know, they never mm-hmm. held me back. Um, and I, oh, but I always had very high standards for myself and I don't know where they came from, quite honestly, because I really think my parents loved me and would have let me be whatever I wanted to be and would have loved. They never said, you have to do this. You have to do that. Never. Always, whatever I wanted to do was fine. Um, so I don't know where that comes from. I think it was, um, quite honestly, what I think is I came from a home, which we weren't super wealthy. I mean, we were like average, you know, and whatever that is anymore, but um, I did have people in my life who I looked up to that, that, you know, had a little bit more and I don't mean like, um, they were rich or anything like that, but it was like, I always, my parents always worked really hard to give me everything that I have and to put me through, you know, have my education and all the things I saw what they went through and how far they got in life. And I always wanted to do that and even beyond. And mm. so I knew in order to do that, I had to work really hard. I had to align myself um, with the right um, path. And I had to just always be open to doing better and growing. And when I got into the workforce, my work ethic was incredible because I just, I wanted to just give me more. Mm. I want to learn. I want to be promoted. I want to, and it wasn't as much about like, I can say like some people go, well, isn't it for the money? It wasn't even the money as much as it was. I wanted to make sure everything my parents did to give me everything I needed wasn't in vain and that I was able to not only, um, you know, give them some kind of like, Hey, like I'm doing well, but also be there for them, which, which thankfully, you know, today I am able to, you know, be there for, for my dad and, um, and, you know, if he needs anything, I'm here because, you know, I, all my life have, have really just tried to do better, better and better. Mm-hmm. And it takes a, a certain type of person to, you know, demand a beating from an editor <laughs> and to go down all these routes to try and pick apart the, the, the weaknesses and what you're doing and try and strengthen you. But I think it's a, it, it's a massively admirable quality. Um, and it's probably worth mentioning as well that you do offer um, coaching as well for writers. You've got your right to life coaching for your writing life, um, which I'm currently looking at on my screen. Um, yeah. how, how much of all this journey obviously plays into the approach that you take when coaching other authors and what kind of things specifically do you do with when you work with uh, other authors? 
You know, it's, I, I literally, when I got my coaching certification, it took me an entire year to get, it was like a very difficult, you know, it was, it was like another immersive process. Right. Mm. Um, I learned a lot about myself and there were things I needed to work out, you know, and work on. So I know, um, the reason I want to align myself with writers specifically is because I know the struggles that we go through and I know that it isn't just external. There's a lot of internal stuff going on. And so my approach is always, you know, in coaching the client or the writer that I'm, that I'm working with has the answer. They know what's best for them. My job is to get that out of them. And my job is to highlight for them what's standing in their way and to help them get over that so they can move on to the next step in whatever their journey is. Um, because this business isn't, isn't an easy business to be in and certainly it can be lonely. And it, you know, I, I even, and, and through all of my career of just, you know, having a psychology background and working, um, you know, a lot in that field and counseling and also in the coaching, you know, I know that there's stuff inside of me that I'm still working out all these years later. So, mm. you know, being aware of it is one thing when you're unaware and you're struggling, um, it can be very frustrating. So I feel like my job is really to bring clarity to them on what the issues are, be them internal or external, find out what their obstacles are, help them move past them. And the, the whole thing of, around it is really like, what do they want? What's their goal? What are they trying to achieve? And let's help you get there. Mm. Um, so, and, and it is an easy work. Um, and certainly, you know, I've had a coach and it's like one of the best things that's ever happened to me because it just, it helps me, you know, process things and, and move forward. But yeah, we can definitely get in our own way. And I think the majority of, of, you know, what's holding us back is getting in our own way, thinking we're not good enough and really um, being afraid to take the risk that's going to put us in the next level of where we need to be. Mm. No, I, I think mindset is probably one of the most undervalued mm -hmm. tools that sure. you can have in your writer tool bank. And I think you get a lot of courses, you get a lot of coaching and people who are obviously um, speaking about upping your craft, working on genre, working on marketing, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But the, the biggest turnaround in my life was probably about five five years ago when I started paying attention to mindset. Um, I started yeah. you know, seeing a counselor about certain things in my personal life, which then tied into my writing life and my work life. Sure. And it's, there's, there's so much of it um, that can empower you and really make it so that writing can be a full-time career for people. But it's just one of these things that people focus on the craft and not necessarily what's in their own head and how they can get longevity out of what it is they're doing. Are there, are there particular trends or themes that you see that you know, are probably worth people looking into or tackling if they're listening to this and thinking, you know, I've never, I've never explored this kind of stuff? What, what would you say to them? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think big ones that, um, and just talking with, with writers and what they're struggling with is, um, certainly your inner critic, you know, that self-talk that's negative about, I'm not good enough. Who am I to be successful? Um, just really exploring that. And that, by the way, that could be, you know, years of, of coaching, or it could be, <laughs> you know, you have an aha moment, you know, I mean, it, it's different for everybody. Um, and then also the I, comparison, comparing yourself and really feeling like, you're in it. You're so happy. You're, you know, you're grateful for your friend, but you know, your friend who got the deal or got the big number one New York time bestseller list or whatever it is that you wanted that you're not, you're not as good as they are. And that ties back into the inner critic, but really it's, it's very specific where I think it's a comparison thing for writers where we compare ourselves inadvertently to others and their journey. And just like, and I, I tell people this all the time, just like in life, right? Which it's really hard because we all, we, we're all so similar, but our journeys are all unique. 
your writer journey is yours. No one else's. So just because this one got an agent and this one did this, maybe you don't get an agent. Maybe you write a self, you self-publish a book that goes to, you know, becomes a movie. Like who knows what your journey is? Um, but you can, trying to compare yourself to someone else because that's what you see and what you want. You're not being true to what is right for you. Your path is your path. And I think everybody, if we could all just stay on our path and, and know that, you know, whatever is meant for us, and I believe this too, this has gotten me through a lot in life. Whatever is meant for us is coming for us. It's coming for us. And it's not meant for anybody else. But if, you know, you don't get that thing, whatever that thing is, it wasn't yours to have. Yours, what you, what's yours is out there. So I tell myself that a lot because I know like I've had opportunities that I've thought, why me? Why do I have this? Why doesn't this person have it? They're better than me. Or other things have happened to people where I'm like, why not me? And it's just, that's just not how it works. I think it, the way that it works is, you know, you work hard, you do your thing and the best that you can obviously be good person, be supportive, be whoever you are, but know that if an opportunity comes your way, it is your opportunity. It belongs to you and embrace it. Um, you know, cause that's hard too. It's embracing what being, being afraid to be successful is huge. It's huge. Yes. That imposter syndrome. I'm not, I'm not only, I'm not good enough. Take it a step further with a writer being afraid of success. That is huge. And that is real. And people go, Oh, what do you mean? Of course, everybody wants to be successful. No success comes with a price and it comes with a lot of different levels and it's, it can be scary. And we hold ourselves back, um, from that because we're afraid. What if, okay, this sounds great. I'm going to joke about it. I'm going to joke about my book becoming a movie. The day someone calls me to say it's happening, I'm terrified. Like Hmm. really? And everyone's going to say that my book was horrible. And why is that book a movie? And like, who are you to have this success? It's like, you're so afraid of what people are going to think and what they're going to um, say and that you don't deserve it. We don't go for things. Yeah, that, that cuts right to the very heart of me. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because and because it's alone. absolutely true. Yeah, no, I mean, there are so many situations where I, I know that I've done it in my own personal life where I've, I've, I've got the skills to get to the next level, even when it was in my old day job, I got the skills to actually go up and obviously get promoted and all that kind of stuff. And But you, you never truly believe that that next step is is within your grasp and there's always I don't know what it is about people in the human condition about just setting that that limited belief that you can only go so far and seeing other people excel and thinking yes. that that's some kind of outlier that you'll never quite get to it's uh, it's it's burdensome to try and live with that sometimes it is and and I'll tell you what everybody has it it's just what how does it show up for you and I mm. think um one of the ways is really it's a protector that thing that's saying don't go for it is protecting you from your own fears of whatever. You're fear- afraid of being successful. You're afraid of exposure. You're afraid of like, you know, again, the whole imposter syndrome, which mm. you're not an imposter. You are the only you there is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that is there's, you're not impostering anybody, but, um, but we all have that. And I think it was funny. I was in a training cause I'm always looking like I, we talked about improving. I'm in um, a leadership training right now. And one of the things I learned was the difference between it's actually Brene Brown, uh, dare to lead. Oh, yes. And if anybody who, Oh, she's amazing. And one of she's the things I'm, I learned that we're hanging and I'm hanging on to as my issue is the difference between hustling for your value and knowing your value, right? We all go through this. Like I'm constantly trying to prove my worth mm. when I just need to know it, know what I'm bringing to the table and not, not feel like I've got to prove it. That doesn't mean you don't have to work hard and do your part, but my point is, I think we, sh- we all in some way, shape or form struggle with hustling to say, oh, see, I got that, that thing happened. So now I'm worthy. Now I'm worthy. Now I'm worthy. It's like, you're always worthy. Like, and just, 
embracing that. Um, it's a hard thing to do. It's definitely not easy, but um, it's something that, you know, we work on lifelong. I mean, it doesn't, you know, go away. Just because you know about it doesn't mean it's going to change. You know, you just, mm. you're working on it all the time. Yeah. I mean, we've grown up, we're, well, we've grown up, we're, we're brought up trying to, or how do I wear this? We're, we're brought up relying on other people's validation for so much. You just get into that habit yes. of, you know, from school, everything's graded and you're given your value by a letter and then you come out of school and you're in a job and everything's graded by assessments or reviews and only the good thrive and all that kind of stuff. So you can forgive people for, for getting into that mindset of needing that external validation, but you're absolutely right. And I think that's something that you definitely get when you get older and you get more comfortable in, or I, I guess as well, when you, when you achieve more, you suddenly realize that there's always going to be a something else so is it worth yeah. always chasing that something else just to make you feel better for five minutes? Yeah. And that was a great, I, I, I know that everything you were saying is true, but I, I never heard it said that way. And you're absolutely right. We've been, we've been, we've grown to learn that external validation is important. Mm. And that if people don't like you, somehow that's your fault. And if you didn't do a good job, shame on you. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. It's like through learning that we are all worthy and we all deserve whatever good that comes to us. Um, and some people have to work harder for it than others. And some people do have lucky breaks mm. um, in some areas. Like there are parts of my life that I feel like I've gotten a lucky break. Like my daughter, I never thought I was going to have children. She was a complete surprise to me. Amazing. Um, and it was a blessing. I lost my mom and missed my mom terribly. And I bring this up because she is like a miracle child. Okay. And perfect and healthy and beautiful and wonderful and loving. And I never, ever thought I was going to be a parent. And so for me, I know that there are people who struggle with infertility. And, you know, so there's like, that was a blessing that was given to me. And let me tell you something. When I found out I was pregnant, I literally was like, I felt guilty. I felt guilty. Like this was just given to me. Like this gift was just given to me and other people fight so hard for this. And I feel so guilty. And everyone's like, you shouldn't feel guilty. This is your thing. You know, this is a blessing. Of course it's all those things. But I think in life, when things happen to you that are positive and seemingly out of nowhere and other people are fighting for it, you feel, I feel guilty. Mm. And I think I had to get away from that and just go, you know what? I need to embrace the life I was given and I need to be grateful every moment and know how lucky and blessed and grateful I am. And maybe, you know, this is the thing that, uh, that was my, my gift. Right. And maybe like, you know, when I thought I wanted something else, that's not going to happen for me, but I'm getting what I need. They always say, you know, you don't always get what you want, but you get what you need. Mm. <laughs> there was like everything, a Rolling Stones song, but, um, <laughs> You know, I really, it doesn't mean you give up on your dreams. It just means that learn, we have to learn to be kind to ourselves and to appreciate the things that come to us that are meant for us um, and just be grateful. And yes, work hard for the other stuff because that keeps us motivated and, 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 and moving. Um, and, and another thing on goals, I just want to mention, cause I'm also taking, a, I'm sure you're shocked, uh, a happiness studies course, <laughs> um, which is really the, the science behind well-being. But, but one thing I did learn there, which, um, has been helpful too. It's like when we set a goal and I think about this as a writer, right? When we set a goal, it's not achieving that goal that gives us the joy. It's the process of achieving the goal. It's called, you know, the pursuit of happiness. You never really yes. think about it, but truly the pursuit of happiness is happiness. That's where we feel good. So even if my book never becomes a number one New York Times bestseller, or I don't make millions of dollars as a writer, the pursuit, writing it, the experience is what's bringing me joy. And that's what I have to focus on. Mm. That's definitely the, the key to 
keeping longevity in this game as it is, is is enjoying the process and making sure that you're just having fun along the way because otherwise you're just living for those brief dopamine hits that just disappear the next day and it all starts over again. Um, I, yes. I, I kind of want to flip a little bit of uh, some of the stuff that you said on its head and ask, have you ever encountered a situation in which someone has come to you for coaching advice and you've had to, in one way or another, deter them, deter is the wrong word, but discourage them from actually pursuing writing because, you know, we, we, we all do have things that we are better at, at than, than other things. And I'm a person of the growth mindset that believes that we can all get good at one thing or another, but have you ever had anyone where you've had to say to someone, maybe this isn't the path that you should be pursuing? You know, I don't, I would never tell anyone what to do or what's right or wrong, but I will tell you that when you get honest about what it looks like, people will make decisions really quick. So I'm sure, you know, as a writer, everybody has a book in them, right? When you're an author, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have this great idea for a book or like a friend of a friend of a friend wants to write a book and who wants <laughs> yes. to write a book. And now can I write you? It's like everyone you ever knew. And like, out of nowhere, like just cause you're writing, like all of a sudden you're an expert and I'm no expert by the way. But yeah, I think when people know that it isn't like I sit down on my computer, I write a book, I publish it, I make millions. It's that easy. Um, the, the real motivation behind it comes out. And I think the people who didn't, who realize it's not like a cash cow all of a sudden, um, will shy away from it. And I think it's, um, not me necessarily saying, don't do this, but me saying like asking the questions, you know, what is, you know, you're like, why do you want this? You know, what are you looking to put into it? What are, you know, where do you want this to go? Um, what, what is it about writing that you enjoy? What are your goals? And then, you know, when the tough questions come up, you know, and sometimes outside of coaching, just in conversation, it's about questions that come up about, you know, what you're going through. Um, or someone tries it and goes, Oh my God, this is really hard. Um, this is difficult. This is work. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Um, they are, you know, they weren't in it for the right reasons. But I think the people who are in it for the right reasons, it's really like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you're okay with that, then there's no time limit. Like you just go at your own pace and, and, you know, you do, do it your way. Um, but there's also no guarantee. So, you know, not to discourage anybody, but like, you know, there's no guarantee, but if you love writing and you love the process and you are, this is something that brings you joy, then you should do it no matter what. Um, you know, so I guess that's, that's hopefully I answered your question, but I think, um, many people are surprised at how much work it is and they don't mm. like, they don't realize you can't just write a book and go like <laughs> buy, find a publisher. Like I literally have had people say like, okay, I'm right. I want to write a book and get an agent. How do I do that? And I'm like, oh yeah, do you have three hours to just start the conversation? And then, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, whatever, or I, I want to self publish my book. And you know, how do I, you know, sell a million copies? It's like, um, if you know, then you need to tell me because <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. But yeah, so um, and that is why like back to your original question about why I push myself and I want the feedback. I know how hard it is to write a really good book. Mm. I also know I'm a better writer in five years than I am today. I'm going to be a better writer, right? And I'm a better writer than I was five years ago. So I know, I respect the work that goes into writing a good book. And it's really not, it doesn't come super easy to everybody. Mm. Now, I'm sure there are probably people in my audience that are thinking, do you take coaching clients at the minute? And how would people get involved in having you as a coach? So do you have any information on that? Yeah. You know, I haven't been, um, of late because I've been so like busy with just 
everything with, with the baby and and so forth. But yeah, I mean, I'm always open. If anybody wants to join my writing group, my writers coaching group, um, on Facebook and we can talk, I mean, that's always the best place to get me. You can always email me at Christina Rienzi author, um, at gmail.com, but certainly write life is my Facebook group for coaching and for writers. Um, but a simple email is fine too. If you want to just chat a little bit about, um, the process and what it looks like. Um, but I'm always, that group is really, it's a free group. It's just where, you know, we can kind of get together and motivate, inspire each other and, uh, and deal with any issues that, you know, we may be having, um, you know, just as a community. Beautiful. Circling this back a little bit then into your fiction and your own writing journey. We've obviously covered the the seven times you had to rewrite your initial novel. How has your process, how is your process, I mean, we've all, we've all, we've all been there. My first novella was 16,000 words and it went for about 17 different alterations. At the oh my God. Yeah. Yes. We, we all get caught in it. But um, yeah, how, how has your process changed from that first book to your, your most recent works? Yeah. You know, it took, it was struggle to find my way. I didn't know if I was a plotter or a pantser um, mm. or what, like, I didn't know, you, you know, when you're starting at something, you don't know what you don't know. So through um, just trial and error and feeling out what's comfortable, I now um, will use, I'll loosely plot a story. So I usually have an idea of, um, you know, what the story is about primarily. I don't know everything that's going to happen, but I'll have an idea of like who the main character is, what the topic is, what the issues are and kind of where I want it to go. Like what I'm exploring with a book. Right. And I try to dive into things that I'm afraid of or that I'm curious about. And I loosely plot. And what I use is um, save the cat. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a screenwriting technique. Yeah. So, and now actually they have it developed into like for novel writers, but way before they did that, I was using, the screenwriting technique and trying to kind of um, dissect it so it was for a book. Um, and I would plug it into, I use Scrivener. So I plug it into Scrivener. I have my, you know, every, every chapter, every like beat in there loosely. And then I'm, I'm open to change. And I really just try to write to the next beat. Um, and so I'll do that. And I do a very skeletal first draft where I'm not editing anything. I'm just writing, getting the story out skeletal. I mean, it's like, you know, not a lot of words, but the story's out. Mm -hmm. Then I go back and I beef it up and I fill in the blanks. I also have a notes on the side where I'm saying like, weave in this topic or this issue happened in this chapter, go back and make it, uh, you know, weave it through with a story so that it's believable. Um, And yeah, I go through that. And then once it's it's done, I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll go through it myself several times before I'll, I'll pass it on. Um, if I'm, if I'm indie publishing it, I'll pass it on to an editor that I've chosen that works with the genre I'm writing in, which by the way, I write all new adult thriller, but I have different genres, like subgenres. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then, um, but if I'm doing the other way around, yeah, I just, I, I make sure that it's in the best shape that I think it can be. I may have an editor do a pass at it. I may have like some writer friends do a, a beta read. And then I would start pitching it, um, you know, to publishers and agents and, um, either via, I'll go on agent query and find, you know, out who's taking submissions for what I'm writing. Um, I've also done Twitter pitches, which have worked for me, uh, believe it or not, I've gotten a publisher that way. (laughs) Yeah. And actually my, anybody, any person I know, this is funny that now you say that because I have people who have been submitting to agents and, and publishers for years. Twitter has been a success. How? I've never heard so, of this. So how does this work? It's, it's really, um, so basically there are a bunch of different 
um, hashtags that occur during the year for pitches. So PITMAD, P-I-T-M-A-D is a huge one. And that one, I think that's the one I used. Um, anyway, so you're allowed to pitch so many blurbs, like a, like a quick um, little pitch, right? Um, an hour. I think it's like one an hour. And then you can only repeat um, there's like rules around it basically, and yeah. you, can, you know, so you'll pick like one an hour. You can only do two different ones or whatever, and you could do them hourly throughout the day and it's certain days of the year. So if you hashtag pit mad, it'll, for example, there's tons of them out there. It'll give you the rules and when the next one is. And basically you just play the game. You go on, you do, you, you put your little pitch in, you put your hashtags. Now you have to hashtag pit mad, but you also have to hashtag the genre. You have to hashtag, um, like if it's adult, young adult, new adult, you know, whatever their requirements are. And if an agent or publisher likes it, like literally hits the little heart, um, that means they want more information. And when they do that, you go onto their website. It's kind of like a scavenger hunt. And you find out what their submission requirements are and you submit to them. Um, But I have had a lot of success that way. And I have friends who've gotten uh, really great agents that way. This is amazing. I've literally never heard of this in my life. So this is kind of yeah. baffling, but it's, it's a yeah. lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun because, um, Twitter, you know, is, is crazy and fast paced and, and it overwhelms me personally as an introvert. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even go on Twitter. I feel bad that I don't go on as much as I probably should as a writer, but I get overwhelmed. But yeah, when it's I, something I like this, Twitter. right, it's too much. It's like mm-hmm. all this information coming at me and I feel like I need to delete it. Um, <laughs> but when there's a reason, like if I'm doing a pitching thing or whatever, I'll go on and it's like the whole day, then you become obsessed. Like I get my pitches ready in advance. I have them drafted and it's like the top of the hour and you shoot it out and then you're like stalking the Twitter to see who liked it. <laughs> and then you're researching who are these people? Like, is this an agent? And you know, somebody's going to like, like, you're never going to really, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, there's somebody's going to like something that you put out there. Um, but yeah, how, how many of your books have been picked book. up that way? Um, so my first series was picked. So choosing a film, breaking evil was picked up that way. Also, I got a lot of hits on among us, but I literally, this is funny. I was publishing, I was working on the audio book and I got a call from a friend who works with audible and audible wanted to publish among us as an audio book and use it as an example for, um, ACX University, which is a training um, website for authors. That's so incredible. I literally had to, it had to be published. And they're like, you need to publish <laughs> your book. I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's out there. I've been sending it to agents. And they're like, if you want this opportunity, you need, so I, it, it was published. <laughs> I indie published it. And so I don't know what would have happened to it. You know, maybe it would have gone somewhere else or done something different, but I did want that opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, that was a great opportunity, but yeah, it's, so I would say two. Two have had pretty good success. And the others I didn't even try with. I honestly was like, oh, they're novellas. I'm going to indie publish them. Yeah. Um, but I would do that. I would actually do that. Before you put yourself through the query stressor, um, that's level two. That's after the people say they like it, you can do that. I would do Twitter before anything else because I feel like when people have this pit mat or whatever, there's so many out. I'm, just, I'm only highlighting that because that's the one that I think is very popular and a lot of people get success with, but there's tons out there that people are doing. There's genre-specific ones. There's all different kinds. When people do um, these Twitter pitches, there are agents and editors sitting by watching. Like They're, they're literally in that moment scrolling for good, good idea. ideas. So they're staring it down and reading everything going, oh, I like this. I like that. And um, so you're getting access. And by the way, you don't know who's out there. So you don't have to pick and choose. <laughs> They're picking you. It's, it's awesome. It really is. It so sounds like I a really good answer to the whole, because I can imagine that particularly today, we live in a, a, an economy where uh, editors and agents are just flooded with 
a slush pile of things that you know people are sending in and things they have to get through and it seems like a really smart way really just to put a couple of days aside and go all right let's get attacked with an onslaught of blurbs and and see if yes. anything takes our fancy i can almost imagine anything. as well a group of uh writers sitting in a room together and almost seeing it like a fantasy football draft and just seeing who oh gets my gosh up on what. you have to see me and my friends we literally will be like texting like and we'll be like, this one liked it. And it's like, <laughs> get me hits. And we're looking for each other. And like, you know, it gets pretty, it's fun. Let me tell you, it brings positivity to this whole process, which can be daunting, especially when you send out submissions and rightfully so they're inundated and you may never hear back. And, mm. you know, not hearing back is a no, but sometimes the not knowing is like unsettling because you're like, did they get it? Do they not like it? I mean, I just assume they didn't like it, but I feel like the Twitter pitching um, creates an element of like excitement, fun. It's almost like um, you're just uh, not that like I'm promoting gambling by any means because I don't even gamble, but yeah. it's almost like that, like that intermittent reinforcement. That's so, you know, the psychology person in me is going to go down that road, but it's so <laughs> rewarding. It's so rewarding. Right. And you're like, who's going to pick, you know, pick it. And it's fun. And you help. And as writers, we help each other with our pitches and, I think there are some rules where you can actually share. Um, you can share each other's pitches and stuff like that. Um, okay. But yeah, you have to look into them. But yeah, I would say it's fun. And it makes it it makes it makes a, a positive experience versus like you behind your computer sweating because you just hit send and you're like, was there a typo? <laughs> and they're analyzing everything and now I'm freaking out, you know? <laughs> this sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to have to check this out. Yeah, um, check it out. Yeah, I will do. We, we are unfortunately coming uh, up close to time. I do have one main question before I go into our quick fire round. And that question for you is, why, Christina Rienzi, do you write? Well, why do I write? Um, because I want to um, explore things that I'm afraid of. I want to learn about things. And, you know, through my books, I get to learn some things too. And I really want to challenge myself and my readers to, I always say embrace the unknown, but truly to be able to go in through my story and triumph, triumph over an obstacle and feel like they've won too. Like that's, that's the positive at the end of, of the dark path of my, you know, my stories. But I want um, some kind of collective escape and a collective feeling of I can do it. Beautiful. Perfectly put. Okay, so we'll dive into the quick fire round, which is 10 questions. I'm going to throw at you as quickly as possible. It's all in fun. You can pass. And are you ready? <laughs> sure, I guess. I don't know. No, but I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Jack Ryan or Jack Reacher? Jack Reacher. Favorite genre of music? Um, it would have to be Yacht Rock, which is mid-tempo, 70s, 80s. Nice. Preferred sandwich filling of choice? Tuna. Preferred pizza topping? Sausage. Who was the last writer to make you cry? Oh, Jodie Pico. What's your favorite fashion brand? Um, I uh, passed. I can't think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How many languages oh, can wait, you speak? Louis Vuitton are the bags anyway. Go ahead. <laughs> nice. How many languages can you speak? One well. Dream holiday destination? Hawaii. You can pick one item to be stranded with on a desert island. What is it? A bottle of wine. What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading Dare to Lead. Beautiful. And that's 10 questions. One bonus question. Where can my listeners find out everything about yourself and all that you're working on? On my website. It's christinarienzi.com. Beautiful. So thank you so much for coming on the show. It's actually been a blast chatting to you. Very, very uplifting. I've got a few things to come away and uh, research oh. after this, which is always fun for me. So thank you for your time. 
Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. And thank you everyone for listening and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be joined by Brummy horror superstar, Ian Rubright. And don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writer Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritersshare. Until next time.